Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. To all of our listeners, a top of the morning to you, as they say. We are at the top of the noon hour, and we have quite the show today for you. We have a very interesting topic. Uh, the show's title today is, So I Had an Abortion, Now What?, um, you know, this is so important in today's day and age because as Catholics, we need to approach this topic from a uh, different perspective, shall we say. Um, but really, what I'm really saying by that is, well, geez, Dr. Sam, what do you mean by different perspectives? I think we need to look at it from the Catholic lens and from the way Christ would see it, because that's really kind of not the way that the world is seeing it right now. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and start uh, praying the Angelus here at the noon hour. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, before we get into the show, I always like to thank our listeners for tuning in and for uh, either being on the app or listening to us uh, on Rumble now, that that's where we are. Um, that's always exciting and fun to be able to reach out to you, no matter what medium we use, as long as we are spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. Well, let's get into our show here. Um, you know, this interesting topic came up because somebody uh, asked me a question. They said, Dr. Sandoval, you know, I, I had an abortion, and now what? Well, let's see here. Let's start. It's always nice to start with a, a Bible passage, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's Jeremiah 1.5. You know, this passage reminds us that God has always known us, that we really exist in the mind of God, um, and that's why we have life, uh, and, and we need to acknowledge that. You know, we are not the purveyors of life. God is, and that's what comes up with this topic. This is why it's such a charged topic, because when we forget that, we start to think that, you know, we can all of a sudden dictate life, we can dictate death, and we need to turn to God, really, to ask him, 
what is our purpose in life? What's the purpose of our existence? And how are we going to live that out? What is our mission and our will? Uh, not our, excuse me, not our will, but what is his will for us? And how can we follow that? Well, let me share the story with you. Let me share to you, with you what uh, uh, this person told me. This is, this is just somebody I knew. Um, and they sent me a, a message and they said, uh, you know, obviously they asked to be anonymous, but they felt that their story, story was worth sharing. And they said, Dear Dr. Sandoval, it is with great pain that I write to you as I am not sure what to do moving forward. I chose to have an abortion. I am in college and I cannot be a mother. I have a career and life ahead of me and I know that having a baby would change everything. I know who the father is, but we were together just once. We were at a party and it was fun. I wanted to know what it would be like to be with him. When I found out that I was pregnant, I didn't think twice. My friends told me that I would be stupid to keep the pregnancy. I also did not tell the father as I thought this was embarrassing and I did not want him involved in my life. The doctor at the clinic told me that there were a lot of cells and nothing more and nothing less. And then she says, then I read the article. She references an article, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And she says, after reading the article, I feel fine if I don't think about it. But when I do, I feel I cannot live knowing that what was my child is now in a trash can or being sold for experiments. What am I supposed to do now? Before we get into the 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 meat of this, let's go ahead and look at the article she was talking about. She told me about this article. It was in The Federalist, if anybody ever reads The Federalist, and it was uh, there, it was published on April 15th, 2021. Uh, And I know that uh, this was covered on Jesus 911 at one point. Um, And the the title of the article is Federal Government Caught Buying Fresh Flesh of Aborted Babies Who Could Have Survived as Preemies. She came across this article, and some of the meat of the article says, Uh, Last week, legal accountability group Judicial Watch dropped a bombshell, a near 600-page report proving the U.S. government had been buying and trafficking fresh aborted baby body parts. These body parts purchased by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to humanize mice and test biologic drugs in scientific experiments came from babies up to 24 weeks old gestation, just weeks from being born. While Americans may be used to hearing pro-lifers beat the warning drum on abortion groups, harvesting baby bodies and selling them for research. Um, and they say, who hasn't heard of the lawsuit against David uh, Delighton, who exposed Planned Parenthood haggling over baby lungs and livers at dinner parties. This time, the U.S. government was the one trafficking baby parts. Recent emails uncovered by Judicial Watch between uh, the FDA employees and the California-based Advanced Bioscience Resources Prove the agency spent tens of thousands of dollars buying aborted babies for unethical scientific experiments between 2012 and 2018. In 2018, the Trump administration had terminated the contract, halting government fetal tissue research due to concerns the contracts were unlawful. Judicial Watch's uh, new FOIA request adds uh, 575 pages of records to his existing 2019 lawsuit against the agency. Interesting thing in this article as well, I'll just read a couple more uh, sentences here. It says, with the callousness of picking a cut of meat from a butcher shop, the FDA doctor requests tissue samples be procured from a baby boy, as they claim. It's a strongly preferred to have the male fetus, if at all possible, but undetermined sex or female is better than no tissue. 
And then they go on to say, we only check external genitalia. If it's not there, we have no way of telling. Interesting, you know, for a show for another time, uh, they talk about, you know, how do we know if it's boy or baby and they only checked external genitalia? Um, you know, that's an interesting uh, uh, topic in and of itself that comes out of this article. But for our purpose today, um, you know, this, this uh, person, this young gal, read this article, came across it, and uh, really kind of shook her up because as she was saying in her, uh, in her email to me, um, you know, she, she heard all the, all the rhetoric from today's modern day and age that this was no big deal. She has a career. Um, she didn't think twice about it. Her friends told her she was stupid to keep the pregnancy. The doctor at the abortion clinic told her it was just a lot of cells, nothing more, nothing less. Um, but then something happened. If, if this were the case, she read, reads this article and ta- realizes that the cells and the tissues are used to humanize mice. So we're trying to make the animals more human. And in the process, some might argue that we are becoming more like animals ourselves. But now she has this realization. You notice that she says um, that she is worried that her child is now in the trash or being sold for experiments. So before reading this article, you know, we hear that it's a bunch of tissues. After reading this article, something tugged at her heartstrings or her conscience. And now she uses the language that it is a child, but what can be done now? Great question. You know, really, really great question. I know that I normally have a coffee and therapy session, and this whole session is going to be coffee and therapy because it's such a hot button topic when we talk about it because a lot of emotions get involved um, and a lot of different perspectives come up. And this is why I say we have to look at it from different perspectives because when we talk about abortion, we have to know who is talking, what we're talking about, and really stay on topic. Otherwise, that's how we get lost in the argument. So today's session is a whole coffee and therapy here over this. Um, so what did I let her know? I just kind of told her, you know, we're going to get into that a little bit more, but uh, you're going to get different answers depending on who you're asking. Uh, but more importantly, when you find yourself in this situation, I would really ask myself, well, what answer are you looking for? Because you can ask a lot of different people, um, you know, what am I supposed to do now? And you know that you're going to get different answers based on who you asked. You asked me and I'm going to give you a particular answer. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But if you ask different people, you know, they're going to they're gonna give you their own perspective on it. And really, are you hoping to look for a, a specific answer that is going to quell any fears, any anxieties, any concerns? Or is there um, a particular truth that you're looking for now that you've, you've changed your mind? Again, there's that tugging. There's that sense of me, my career, I needed to, to move forward in my life. Uh, this is just a bunch of, of cells is what the doctor tells me. My friends tell me, of course, I'd be silly. Uh, you know, this guy, I met him once. He, I don't know if he, she didn't specify. She just said that, uh, you know, she met him at a party, thought it would be interesting to be with him in an intimate way. Must have found him attractive or something. I don't want to speculate. Um, but really, this is what society tells us, right? You're empowered when you do this because you're exercising your right to uh, free love, to free intimacy, and there's no consequences. And all of a sudden, if there is a consequence, well, we have solutions and answers. And so that's one of the things that we really need to ask ourselves. Is that the truth? Is that the case? When we come back from the break, we're coming up on the break. We're going to look a little bit. We're, I'm going to take a step back. We're going to talk about a few topics with us. First of all, what do we know about abortion? When did it come about? Um, how do we talk about it today in society? And really, if we find ourselves in this situation, what are we going to do about it? You know, now I've, I've had the abortion. I really regret it. I'm worried that something bad happens. What do I do next? 
more when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. If you have any questions, thoughts, or want to hear any kind of topics, feel free to email me here on uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, my email is doctor, that's dr.sandoval, vmpr, at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to always email me with any questions, concerns, comments. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, at the last hour, last uh, segment of the show on our Holy Hour Challenge, and we're going to have a Zoom meeting coming up on that. I'll let you know the date for this Saturday. Um, so if you email me, you'll get more information as well, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But let's back up a little bit. So today we're talking about so I've had an abortion. What do I do now? And I guess it really depends because this came up for somebody who did have an abortion and felt that it was no big deal at the time. It was the right choice to make. And now all of a sudden finds that they regret it. They don't feel good about it. And something is tugging at their heartstrings. I did mention before, this person is Catholic. Um, and so they have been taught in the faith. They were not necessarily practicing the faith. And uh, I would say maybe not necessarily practicing now to my understanding, but definitely kind of moving in a certain direction when the conscience is leading us uh, in a particular way. So let's look at this a little bit. Let's back up. Let's back up a little bit when we talk about this topic. We can't just get into it and start, you know, telling each other, yelling at from the different sides, you know, this is what it has to be and you're wrong and you're wrong because we never get to a solution um, or we never get to a, a resolution really of where we are at and what this really means. Sometimes the truth gets lost in all the noise. But, you know, is abortion something new? Is it something that, um, you know, we just came up with in the last 50 years in the last 100 years. And the reality is no. As I was doing some research, I was thinking, you know, gosh, probably from the eons of time, it's been around because human nature doesn't change. Um, but the first, uh, in all the research I did, the first recorded uh, possible abortion was done in 1550 BC in Egypt. This is, you know, 1550 before Christ um, in Egypt. And that was the first time that it was recorded, not the first time that we can anticipate it was performed. Um, there's an early Christian work called the Didact, which uh, is before the year 100 AD. I would recommend anybody read that. Again, it's called the Didact, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, and it was really the way of life of the early Christians. Um, and there's a quote in there that says, do not murder a child by abortion or kill a newborn infant. Um, there is also, for uh, physicians, the Oath of Hippocrates, which we all um, adhere to. And the oath was written in 275 uh, AD, um, and it said it forbade the use of pessaries to induce abortion. Obviously, any kind of abortion induction. And as physicians, you were supposed to never induce an abortion, never contribute to an abortion. Now, some modern scholars, if, if you're going to listen to the different arguments now, suggest mm -hmm. that they were banned because they were worried about vaginal ulcers or women bleeding out or anything along those lines. But the reality is there is a prevention or a uh, line in there for physicians uh, that you are not supposed to engage in the practice of abortion. It is also right next to that a line saying you should not induce the death of somebody. You should always strive to preserve life. Um, you know, and so if we look back and we think, gosh, abortion, the idea of abortion has been around for a long time, uh, likely from the beginning of time. What are the reasons that somebody would have had an abortion in 1550 BC? I would dare say that 
they're probably some of the same reasons that we have now. You know, we, we talk about human nature uh, or humans evolving and things moving forward to a more modern world. The reality is our human nature does not evolve into a more modern world. Our technology might evolve. The uh, ways that we can treat people evolves. Uh, the way that we build homes, the way that we get around cars, highways, things of that nature, you know, moving a rocket into space, all that is definitely technological evolution or we're learning more about that. But if you notice our human nature itself, how we interact as human beings has been the same for eons from the beginning of time. We don't, uh, you know, we still ask the same questions. Why is that teenagers in every generation ask, well, gee, I, I really like that boy. How do I date him? Or, you know, what are girls like? If guy says, I don't understand girls, I want to ask her out, but I'm too shy. Or things, that th those questions remain the same generation to generation. I don't think that it has changed in the last five years other than, again, what has evolved our technology, our way of dating. Um, it's a lot easier to meet people now because uh, it's online. But we say we meet people, but really to find people. Do we actually get to know each other? Or do we take the time to build a family as uh, um, you know, Terry was talking about in the show earlier? Are we building Catholic families or are we having a breakdown of families? Um, and are we really encouraging ourselves to have children, have families, grow together as husband and wife and lead the family uh, to heaven? You know, is that what's happening now? Well, if we look in the history, an unwanted pregnancy could have resulted just like it could now. Uh, an unwanted pregnancy could have resulted from an affair outside of marriage, um, outside of wedlock. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's different reasons why somebody would say it might not be convenient. I don't think that the ideas that we have now as to why somebody should have an abortion have changed too much in terms of we have to look at, yes, it's a woman's choice, but a woman's choice to do what? And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. You know, the, the reasoning might be the same. And then the, they're going to get different opinions on, on what abortion should be or should not be. But this is where we skirt the issue a little bit. So we hear a lot of terms and a lot of catchphrases. And uh, somebody should say, would say, well, you know, what about abortion? Let's talk about, oh, well, it should be safe and rare. You know, we pair the word abortion with safe and rare, which are very safe words, right? Safe. Who, who says that things shouldn't be safe? Who wouldn't want a procedure to be safe? Nobody wants to risk bleeding and death. So we pair the word abortion with the rhetoric of safe and rare, right? Um, so rare means that it does not happen very often. It makes us feel good. Um, but then I would ask myself or I would ask whoever I'm talking to, well, but why rare? You know, obviously safe. Everybody wants to be safe. That's easy. Everything should be as safe as possible. But why rare? Why not often? You know, why, why should this be rare? Um, it, it should be open to everybody. There was a study uh, done by the Guttmacher Institute, um, and they were saying, I would look this up, there was a total of abortions since 1973 has been 62,502,904. That's a big number. Let me read that again. 62,502,904. That does not sound very rare. Uh, that's only since 1973, since Roe versus Wade uh, was legalized. And so that's what we have as far as documented or recorded. Uh, but, you know, when we're talking about it, we got to ask ourselves, what words are we pairing with it? What are we talking about in terms of the, the words, the ideas surrounding the topic? Now, somebody might even say, well, what does the Catholic Church care about this? You know, why, why is it even on the radar for the Catholic Church to discuss abortion? Is it any of their business, right? It's my body, my choice. Um, well, as Catholics, you know, there's going to be the issue that we believe that all aspects of our life uh, 
can, can always be guided by our moral theology. There's no, if we belong to Christ, and this is where we talked about, God gave us the existence, right? So let me read that again. It was, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. So that's God speaking. Then God made us. We belong to God. And our Catholic faith comes from being able to follow the truth in Jesus Christ in trying to get to heaven, then every single aspect of my life, really, when you think about it that way, has to be analyzed through the eyes of the Catholic faith. So this is why the church uh, cares about this. But more importantly, the church has always looked to evidence-based science to make our decisions about our bodies and what we do in terms of our medical treatment. You know, this is why people a lot of times say, well, what does Catholic Church care about the medical component of things? Why do they care what procedures we have? Not just about abortion, but in general, uh, why do they care what medications we use, uh, how things are made? You know, why is there a moral theology associated with this? Because if God gave us our bodies and God gave us our bodies to glorify him, then we have to really know how to use our bodies and so we always look at evidence-based science. And what do I mean by evidence-based science? So in medicine, we say we use evidence-based treatment, meaning that there's been research studies, there has been, uh, you know, treatment-wise, the medication has been looked at, researched, side effects have been looked at, and the efficacy have been looked at, and is this going to help a person get better or feel better? If the church is going to look at evidence-based science, that means that they're going to look at, well, when does life begin? God gave us life. Okay. Life didn't just start for me when I turned one year old, started before that. Okay. Well, when did it start? Did it start right when I, you know, was born on my birth date, when I came out of the vaginal canal? Is that when life started? Or did it start even before that? We have a very defined time that life starts in science. And because how do we know? Because we see change. And when do we see that change? Once the egg and the sperm join, we start to see it take a life of its own, right? These two cells get together and they start dividing spontaneously by this, not something we did. It's the way God set it up. Spontaneously, they just start changing. They start dividing and dividing and they start to form what we come to know as ourselves. Now, we have different stages of our lives. Obviously, a newborn baby does not look like an 80-year-old person, right? These cells continue to grow, to mature, to evolve, um, scientifically speaking, over time. And so this is why we say, well, when did that whole process start? When did I start? When did my cells start dividing? Because that's all I am. I'm a clump of cells that divides, and I depend on food to survive. I depend on the earth to survive. And I can acquire that food myself. At other times, I depend on other people to acquire that food for me, such as sometimes I depend on the grocers and the supermarkets to acquire that food for me because that's where I go shop for it. But if they didn't have it there, I'd have to go find it. So there's always a dependence on each other. There's no question about that. Christ said that there is the vine and the branches idea, and we are the branches. He is the vine. Um, so there's always going to be a sense of dependence. We weren't built as individuals uh, and as human beings as islands that can rely on ourselves. We rely on people around us. And the same way, if, we, if I look at these cells that now are growing, thinking, talking, when did I start to form cells? When did I start to divide? Obviously at the moment of conception. And so that's why that's important for the church that we say, hey, from the moment you were conceived, that's where uh, life started. But if we're going to continue to talk about this, sometimes, you know, if we're going to talk about the topic of, of abortion and, and we're going to go by that, you know, people don't longer argue that there isn't a life. There's change there. That's things that are, that's happening. But then we have to get into even a more basic reality. You know, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is an abortion? If this person is coming to me and saying, Dr. Sandoval, 
Uh, I had an abortion. I read this article. I don't feel good about it. I don't know what to do now. The question is, well, what did I do? Well, why don't you feel good about what you did? What is it that you did? And we have to look at the the ideas, the rhetoric surrounding that. Um, if we're going to make sense of that question, it's a very, very big question. What I would say is this. Um, if you talk, if you look in society and you look at what people say and you say, what's an abortion? A lot of times they're going to say, well, it's a woman's right to choose. You know, it's her body, her choice. It's a woman's right to choose. And they stop there. So again, this is where we stop. A woman's right to choose. And then we leave it at that because we don't want to delve into the topic too much more. But really we have to ask ourselves, okay, but to choose what? It's a woman's right to choose. A choice means a choice between a couple things to choose what? And if we're going to be honest, it's really comes down to, well, it's a woman's right to choose to keep or to end a pregnancy. And we got to say, you know, a lot of times people say, no, she doesn't have that right to choose. The reality is if we take a step back, the law allows it. So the law gives her that choice. She does have that choice by law and God gives us free will. So is the choice there? Yeah, the choice is free for all of us. The Catholic Church is going to tell you, well, is it a sin to have an abortion? Sure. But then do we have free will to choose or not choose sin? Yeah, we do. So in a way that we could say, yeah, it's a woman's right to choose, but um, we all have the right to choose. We all have the right to choose to sin or not. God does give us that right. My question is not so much is it legal or not. It's why would somebody choose that option to begin with? And we're going to talk about that more when we come back from the break. All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Uh, and for those of you tuning in, we have a very hot topic today. We're talking about abortion. And really, more than anything else, we're talking about how do we talk to an abortionist, uh, or excuse me, how do we talk about abortion, especially if someone has already had an abortion and now they want to know what to do? We talked a little bit about the history of abortion. You know, this has probably been around for eons. But the reality is our conversation around abortion and what it is and what does it mean for the family is really what's dividing uh, um, people sometimes where they don't uh, take the time to say, hey, let's slow down. Let's not get riled up on this um, and and let's have a real conversation on it. Um, you know, I think that uh, being part of the pro-life movement, obviously, you know, there, we're, it's very black and white. There's no question about the rights or wrongs behind it being Catholic. There's no question about the right or wrong uh, behind it. But um, once somebody has had an abortion, what's my approach now? You know, what would Christ tell us and how do we approach this situation? We're talking a little bit about, you know, what's the conversation we're having? What are some of the words that we use around the topic of abortion, um, including talking about making it safe and legal and all these wonderful positive words uh, surrounding this. And we asked ourselves, you know, gosh, is it a woman's right to choose to have an abortion or not? The way it's set up legally, it is it is her right to choose. She does have that choice legally. She could go to an abortion clinic and nobody's going to arrest her. Nobody's going to stop her. In fact, you have a better chance of probably being detained if you are outside praying a rosary, um, asking to stop abortion. So, you know, the, the laws get interesting, but it's definitely on the side of proceeding with the procedure. Um and on top of that, God does give us free will. This is this is one of the challenges, and this is where we have to, uh, the beauty of free will, if you were listening to the show before, is that it gives us a chance to prove to God that we truly love him. We have the choice to not love him. And so we have to look at 
how am I using that free will? Am I using it in a way to love God or not? But the will, the, the freedom is, is ours. And I was saying, you know, I'm not so much concerned about the legality of it or not. It, we, it's a, such a hot button topic that we sometimes focus on. We've got to make it illegal. We've got to make it illegal. And of course, that's the way we would vote, of course, as Catholics. But um, the question I have is, if it is legal or not, why would somebody choose it? There's a lot of different things that in our faith we know to be uh, cause us to separate from God. Um, and they're very legal. You know, there's a lot of legal things I can do to separate myself from God. This happens to be one of the topics, but my real question is why would somebody choose to get an abortion? Um, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting too. So we say what's her right to choose or keep a pregnancy. And then let's back up, you know, from a medical perspective, what is a pregnancy? You know, something is either a pregnancy or it isn't that which something is, is, and that which something is not, it is not. But the real question, and the reason I say that is, what's our approach to pregnancy and how we treat it very much depends on a mother's perspective and her decision to keep the child or not for the exact same condition. And I say condition, speaking medically, you know, pregnancy as a medical condition, if you will, or as a state of being. When somebody's pregnant, it's the same situation. We can have two different moms. Um, but if a mother decides to not continue the pregnancy, uh, then for sure, you know, the, the, the speech we use is we say it's an embryo or a fetus, right? So this is based on what the mother decides uh, she wants. Now, if a mother says, no, I do want to continue the pregnancy, then we call it a baby no matter what stage it's at, right? From conception to the time it comes out of her womb. Just ask any mom who's had any trouble conceiving or who, you know, any, any woman who's had trouble conceiving and all of a sudden she finds out she's pregnant, ask her at what time she feels that she had life inside of her. Ask her at what time that was a person um, for her. But the interesting thing is that we can have the exact same situation, but our language surrounding it is going to change. And then further proof of this is that, you know, we talk about, there's the talk about, well, at what week should abortion be legal or not, the legality of it and how far and should there be, uh, they even have the term partial birth abortion, things of that nature. But on the other end of the spectrum, you know, if a baby is, if a mom wants to keep her baby and all of a sudden it seems like the pregnancy is not going well, she's not going to make it to nine months. And if there's going to be some type of a premature labor uh, or other complications that would uh, create the, the potential for a premature birth, then guess what? We have whole medical units called NICU or neonatal intensive care units, neonatal ICUs. We have whole medical units dedicated to preserving the life of this baby because the mom decided she wanted it. In fact, the youngest, I was looking this up, just I got curious, the youngest recorded baby born premature, uh, which survived, uh, was at 21 weeks is what they were saying. I thought that was interesting. I thought there would have been something even younger, but at 21 weeks, and guess what? When there is the potential for this risk, we take you know all the measures we can. We have to inject surfactant because we know that the lungs might not be ready to breathe the air the way that they're set up. So we help them out and we get them ready to breathe in this new environment. And we leave babies in the intensive care units for weeks. Uh, we feed them, they depend on us. And we say that they are important because your mom loves you and wants you to be alive. On the other end of the spectrum, same weeks of babies, you know, we have, instead of the neonatal intensive care unit, we have quite the opposite, right? So we have situations in clinics where uh, moms can go and say, you know, this is no longer something I want. And then we have the uh, abortion clinics. Two different approaches, uh, different vocabulary based on a mother's choice if she wants to uh, keep the child or not to humanize the baby. Uh, or we use terminology like 
embryo and fetus to hopefully to dehumanize it or separate ourselves from it. And that's a lot of power. You know, women have a, have a lot of power in that way. But then this is where I ask myself, you know, why would she make that choice for the um, person who spoke to me and who came to me? For those of you who might be tuning in right now, um, it was a young gal. Uh, she talked to me about how she was in great pain because she had read an article. Uh, before reading the article, she chose to have an abortion, young mom in college, needed, had the idea that I have to have a career. I have my whole life ahead of me. Baby would change everything. It was only, as they say, a one night stand. She met a, a guy at a party or she was with a guy at a party one time. She thought it would be fun. Ended up getting pregnant. Her friends told her she could not keep the pregnancy. She'd be stupid to. Uh, she said that at the clinic. The doctor explained to her she just had some cells that they had to remove. And then she read an article uh, where it showed that the FDA, the federal government, was actually involved in buying baby parts and using them to try to humanize uh, mice. Interesting that we're trying to humanize uh, mice. So, you know, this came about and she started to feel remorse, regret was not happy about this. Um, but this is the realities of life. You know, we have abortion clinics and we have uh, neonatal ICUs and it all depends on how we talk about it. I would hope um, that we could encourage moms to uh, uh, really, really as Catholics, I would say, to encourage each other to to encourage, and this is where I take a step back on, on my own self. Please keep in mind, anything I say here is my own personal view. It has nothing to do with my employment, my clinic, or anybody else that I speak to. This is my my personal views as a Catholic physician um, and as a Catholic. But sometimes when we talk about abortion, I think, okay, well, we need to start talking to the men. It's like if I'm gonna, if I want to give a talk about abortion, I want a room full of men. Um, and you'd say, well, why? But it's the woman's right to choose. The reason I want a room full of men is because we've allowed this. You know, if we uh, as guys said, let's take a step back, let's take our strength back, our masculinity back, and realize that we are not going to give in to the culture, to our, our needs, to our uh, sexual drive, um, and just have one night stands or be driven by our passions. If we're willing to fight that, I bet you the rate of abortion would drop significantly because there's no way you're gonna get pregnant without a man being involved. There probably wouldn't be any sperm banks, there wouldn't be um, you know, a lot of one night stands and things of that nature. Um, so as men, we have to take some responsibility in this as well. That baby was formed by two people. Um, but one of the interesting things is that when it comes to the topic of abortion, there was a professor I had in college who uh, told us that she, she was a physician, she's a Catholic physician. She said she took a philosophy class once. And she said, as far as the argument of abortion goes, there is no happy medium. She said, people are either gonna take one side or the other. And it's very, very hard to convince or to bridge that gap or to come to any kind of a conversation. Because if somebody wants to have an abortion, if people want to have this procedure in place, it will be in place regardless of any kind of argument that might be presented. And so that makes it really hard, um, you know, in terms of how do we convince people. As Catholics, I would say we keep praying, we keep asking God to intervene. And like this young lady, unfortunately, her situation is that she started to think twice about it after the fact, but is it ever late? It's never late because we look at Christ and we look at how she might be a witness and help to convince somebody um, as she uses different language from what society might be telling young girls, young men, um, in terms of this is what happened, this is my experience, and please, we learn from each other. You know, I'm not here to, to judge, uh, we're here to learn from each other. And so what did I tell this young lady? You know, she came to me and she said, what am I supposed to do now? This is, this is done. This is what's going on. I have to be aware of, okay, I understand the rhetoric of what society's telling you. I understand that this is something that's been around for eons. This is something that um, 
I'm not necessarily going to change overnight, but I want to talk to you individually. And I think that this is where we can look at a few things. One of the things is that really you can ask anybody, what do I do now? And it really depends on what answer you're looking for, because if you want to feel better about what happened, you're going to probably talk to somebody who tells you, Hey, you exercised your right to choose. You are now empowered. You did the right thing. Uh, you shouldn't worry about what anybody else says. You shouldn't worry about what people are telling you. And they're going to say, and society is telling you that you should feel guilty as a woman about what you're doing. Um, but understand that you have the right to choose and you're now empowered. But you ask me, uh, knowing that I'm Catholic, knowing that I'm a physician, um, and I would dare say that it's quite the opposite. You know, society is actually not telling you that you're going to that you should feel guilty. Society is telling you that you should feel empowered and that guilt has nothing to do with it. It's the voice of the Catholic faith that's telling you that there is a right or wrong in the eyes of God and that we have a conscience and that you don't have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to a priest. You don't have to answer to anybody else. I will have to answer to Christ as everybody else will at the moment that we come to the pearly gates and we have to ask God, did I lead my life in a way that was pleasing in your eyes. And that's where sometimes we start to feel guilty. And so if you're coming to me as a Catholic and what should you do now? I would say, well, you probably asked the question to somebody who you knew was Catholic for a reason. You're probably feeling uneasy. You worry now that this might have been a child as you even notice in the language, it was first a clump of cells and now she's saying, my child, what did I do with my child? Who knows where they are being used for experiments or in the trash somewhere. Um, and that can be really hard to take on. And the first question I would have is, do you have faith in the mercy of Jesus Christ? If you're coming to me as a Catholic, that's the first thing I have to, I have to turn to. I'm not here. I, you, I don't have to forgive you. I, you. You didn't violate me. Do you have faith in the mercy of Jesus Christ? You know, we can argue it's a public sin. It affects all of us. But here's where we have to look at it from a very individual perspective. Where What would Christ say? Um, when we come back from the break, as we're coming close to the break, we're going to explore that a little bit more. And then we're going to talk about our Holy Hour Challenge. How do, first of all, we find the light in the darkness and maybe the Holy Hour Challenge will help us and guide us in these moments. Or when we come back from the break. All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval show here. Um, and w today we're talking about abortion and what do we do when somebody has already had an abortion and they might come to us and ask us, Hey, what am I supposed to do now? I don't feel good about this. I initially thought it was a good idea or what I had to do or my only option, um, you know, based on what I, in the moment I was in or what I felt. Um, and now I'm kind of regretting it because I'm starting to realize a few things that I feel a little bit lied to, uh, that I start to see that, you know, why would somebody like the government or research uh, institutes be interested in the abortion um, in the products of the abortion? What's going to go on with that? Um, and so at this point, we were talking about what would I tell somebody? And when they came to me, I initially started thinking, what would Christ say? You know, I'm not Christ. I'm far from Christ. But in this moment, we had to be Christ to each other. We got to find that portion of us that wants Christ to be there, that wants to be healed and recognize that I'm broken as well. And I would say, first of all, you, if you're questioning this, if this is on your heart, if this is moving you forward in a particular way, I would say, talk to someone who will not dismiss how you feel, first of all, because if you say, I'm not feeling good about this, somebody could easily blow that off. Or even worse, they're going to tell you how to feel. 
I would say talk to somebody who's taking what you feel and discussing that with you openly, not telling you how to feel or telling you that what you did uh, was right or to ignore it. It's just where are you at? How do you feel about it? If you feel that something's off, really the reason you're asking these questions of what now is because you're searching for the truth. You know, if it were as simple as, well, what I did was right, I don't have to worry about it, I move forward and not think twice. But now at this point you're saying something's off, I need to search for the truth and something in this in this uh, situation. Uh, I don't feel good about it and I feel like after reading this article where I saw that the government's using this and you know, the, the article actually, I didn't read all the details of it, but it actually goes into some uh, gruesome details about how uh, abortions are done so that organs and tissues can be procured. Um, and it doesn't mind words about there's, you know, some horrible things that are happening um, as this happens, as the abortion takes place. And then what I would look at is, uh, you know, a couple of the gospel readings that I look at when I think about how would Christ approach the situation. Two of my favorite gospel readings. Uh, one is if you read John chapter 4, there is the woman at the well. If you read John chapter eight, there was a woman caught in adultery. And you know, even though these are topics of women, um, sometimes I put myself in their in their position, and I, sometimes I'm the woman at the well, and sometimes I'm the woman caught in adultery, if you will, in terms of that we are caught in sin, or we are caught in a moment where all of a sudden we realize that what we're doing is wrong, um, whether regardless of what the sin is, any of the commandments take your pick. But one of the beautiful things that happens here is that if we are there, the woman at the well, obviously was a, it was a public sin. She was at the well in the middle of the day. The theologians tell us that it was more than likely because she was um, you know, considered to be either a prostitute or something along those lines. And Christ spoke to her with the truth, told her that you know, she was not married at the time. She acknowledged it. But he offered her himself um, as a solution to that, offered him life, and her life was changed when she turned to Christ. The woman caught in adultery, you know, it's that fear probably that we all have if we think about the last judgment or things of that nature where our sins might be exposed to a less than charitable group of people and they will be pointing the finger and we will be accused. Um, but what happens in the moment Christ waits and he disperses the crowd? Um, and then in both of these cases, what I think is most relevant and most important is that God's mercy, after all the chatter of the world goes away, um, is individual. God speaks to us individually. So if you have had an abortion and you're concerned, you're worried about it, you're wondering what to do next, let the noise of the world go away. Let the noise of the accusers go away. Find yourself in that silent moment where you are individually with Christ um, and listen to what he has to say because Christ waited for the one-on-one -on -one interaction. And in this way, this is where we know, where we really understand what we mean by God's mercy. God is honest about our sins. We, we can't deny them. You know, Jesus knew that the woman caught in adultery was committing adultery. Jesus knew that the woman at the well was, if not living in adultery, living um, in sin. Um, and he didn't mind words about it. But you notice he did not condemn either. He did not tell either of them that they were going to go to hell. In that moment, in that one-on-one -on -one moment with Christ, he preserved their dignity, even though their sins were public. He made the relationship personal. And this is where I would say, if you're in that moment, go and sit in front of the tabernacle and have that personal moment with Christ and bring to him your pain and your hurt. Um, this is what I've been finding with doing the Holy Hour Challenge, that it's a very individual um, experience and it's, been, it's actually been just a beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, you know, if you find yourself in this position, 
ask yourself why, if you were brought up Catholic, if you were thinking about Catholicism, if you're looking at the beauty and the truths of our Catholic faith, there is no, uh, we, we don't, we're not at a loss of things that we can do. Mass, confession, I would say pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet if we're looking for the uh, mercy of God. If you haven't listened to already, Father Chris Alar of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, he's got a lot of great talks online about our Catholic faith. Always speaking of Divine Mercy, I think the Divine Mercy Chaplet is a wonderful, wonderful way to ask God's forgiveness, to understand God's sacrifice for us and how much we mean to him. Don't underestimate praying the rosary and what that will do to our hearts, to our souls. Um, Wear a scapular. You know, don't forget wearing a medal, wearing a scrapbook. These are the signs of our faith. Have faith that God is going to heal that which man has destroyed. God is going to heal that which we cannot fix anymore. This is where God goes back in time and space. And we believe that any separation from God can be healed, any sin can be forgiven. These are the things that I think that we need to consider because I think that that's the beauty of the parables or actually not the parables, the stories. These weren't even parables. These were actual stories, the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery. It brings us back to that individual relationship with Christ. There's no question that our relationship's going to be individual. And what does that mean? We're going to talk about that a little bit here as we talk about our Holy Hour Challenge. But what I would say to anybody who might have had an abortion, who is debating about what do I do now, who does not feel good inside, who feels broken, who feels that God will never love them again, go back to Christ. Find the mercy from Christ. And from there is where you will be able to start not only to heal, but to be able to understand what's truth and what isn't truth. There's so much chatter surrounding this topic. There's so much chatter from the medical world, from the faith-based world, and a lot of people get turned off on for different reasons. But if we start looking at it from the point of view of the mercy of Christ and what is true and what the Catholic truths that are being taught within the magisterium of the church, why they're being taught, how we came to the conclusion that life starts at conception, you start to understand really the gift of life, the gift of existence, and really the science behind it. There's no question that if two cells are going to join and they're going to start to individually divide or to together divide as an individual organism and create their own organism, there's no question that there's life there. That's the bottom line. Um, but go to confession. Understand that there's no sin that God cannot forgive, and there is nothing that cannot be done without um, the love of God. So there's no, or with the love of God. Once we have the love of God, there's nothing that we can't do. You know, for men, it's impossible. For God, all things are possible. This is what we really got to come come back to because if we came from God, if God formed us, then God is who can heal us, and He is all powerful. If we look at Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden to you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows everything about us. God knows everything of your child. Pray for your child now in God's hands. Pray for yourself. Pray for us. Pray for the church because this is really where the healing needs to take place. Pray for holy priests that will speak on this and will speak the truth. Pray that men will rise to the challenge and that we will uh, you know, take ownership of our passions, take ownership of our manhood and really be protectors of women instead of encouraging them 
to uh, have an abortion of our own children too. Remember, this this is a, a child was made by two people, not just one. Um, and this uh, God's going to heal everything. That's really the bottom line. Go back to Christ. Look for Christ's mercy. Um, as we talk about the Holy Hour Challenge, you know, the, in the last two weeks, I've been focusing on faith. You know, once a week on the faith, and this is where do I have faith in Christ? Do I have faith that I can bring my ugliness to Christ? and he will heal it for me. Um, one of the things that I was reading in the last couple of weeks in the Holy Hour Challenge uh, was very striking. It spoke to me, not in a scary way, but in a very peaceful way, actually. And it said, this is from chapter 23 of The Imitation of Christ, as I said, I've been reading this. Uh, and 23 of the, of the uh, Imitation of Christ is titled The Meditation on Death. And the first sentence is, The hour of death will soon come for you. And I think about that, and most people might get scared and think about abortion and death and all these different things, but for us, as I'm doing this holy hour, I'm relying, putting my faith in Christ, it's actually very peaceful um, because the hour of death will soon come for me. I see it more as my time on this earth is going to be up and I will soon be with Christ. And that is actually going to bring us a lot of joy. We use the word death, but we can also separate that and or flip it, excuse me, and say the hour of life will soon come for you. And I think we need to think about that uh, in a way because the hour of death from this world will come for us but the hour of life will come to us at the same time if we stay in the grace of God. So another uh, chapter in there that said, what good is a long life if we do not use it to advance spiritually? Sad to say, it often happens that a long life adds to our guilt and not to our amendment. If only we could point to one day in our life that was really well spent, many count the years of their conversion, but often there is little to show for it. I think we have to have faith in God that he will take care of us, and that the hour of death will actually be our hour of life. I love that. In the last two weeks, I've been uh, focusing a lot more on faith, and a lot of fear has gone away. You know, a lot of fear that we sometimes I don't even realize is there subconsciously. You know, fear for what's going to happen in as far as our future, and how do we take care of our families, and, you know, something as simple as, you know, can I fix that bathroom sink, or things of that nature. As I focus on faith, some of that peace is coming in. The goal of this Holy Hour Challenge, for anybody who's joining me in it, remember, is to have peace. Um, and that's the bottom line. We're going to focus on faith, hope, and love. I'm on the second week of faith. Uh, there will be another week of focusing on faith during my Holy Hour. And then I'm going to focus on hope and love coming up. For anybody who's joined our Holy Hour Challenge or who wants to talk a little bit more about it, I will be having a Zoom session uh, this Saturday at, uh, um, let's see here, at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, so anybody who wants to join us from different standard times, that'll be uh, noon Mountain Standard Time. Um, but I encourage you to email me at doctor, that's dr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. Be happy to send out that Zoom link as we continue this holy hour, continue to pray for faith. Anybody who feels that they are distraught or who feels that they have sinned too much or they've done something that has separated themselves from God, um, this is perfect. We get back to the Eucharist. The sacrifice of the Eucharist is our door into heaven, is our ticket into heaven, past that door. That's the only thing that's going to get us there. God will heal us no matter what. I would say don't listen to the rhetoric of the world. Don't listen to the rhetoric of politics. Listen to what Christ is truly telling you because as human nature is consistent, God is consistent with us. Things are going to come and go in this world. Different laws are going to pass or not pass or be repealed. That's always going to happen. You know, our faith is in God. Fear comes from the world, but peace comes from God. And if we keep doing our holy hour, do a holy hour at least once a week, I'm starting to do more than that. Um, and really what I guarantee you is you will find peace. Uh, to all of our listeners out there, hope you have a great day, a great Ascension Thursday. And until next time, this is Dr. Luis Handelashev.